Good morning. It is nice to see all of you today. I hope you're enjoying this nice winter weather. Someone said that I brought it from D.C., so if you like it, you're welcome. If you don't, it wasn't me. I, <laughs> I didn't have it in my luggage, but, uh, but it is nice and brisk and uh, enjoyable. And, uh, and if you don't like it, just hang around. It'll be in the, uh, uh, the 80s uh, clo- uh, soon enough. Um, it is nice to see all of you here. Thank you for thinking about us this last weekend. We had a, um, a really enjoyable visit with my dad. Uh, it was the first time for all of us four siblings to be together in a number of years. Um, and uh, and his brother and sister were also present. Uh, they are octogenarians. The th- we had three octogenarians present for the, fa- the party. And then on Tuesday, Dad uh, jumped up to the next level and became a nano Nanotarian, I think, or something like that. I don't know. He turned 90. And uh, we had people from Washington State, California, uh, New Hampshire, and Florida, from China, Africa, and Korea. So we had uh, a number of different groups, rep- and a couple of Americans thrown in just for fun, you know. Uh, but uh, but it, it was a special day, and, and, and I appreciate you thinking about us, and I appreciate Robert uh, filling in for me with uh, the sermon last week. Uh, we are happy to announce that, uh, uh, well, depending on how you know him, uh, Moises, or Moses, uh, according to your language of preference, uh, was baptized on Monday. But uh, let's see, Moises, where are you? I think I saw you earlier, and uh, there we are. All right, wonderful, very good. Congratulations. Very, very happy for you. And he's there with his uh, younger sister in the picture, and some balding guy. I don't, I guess can't quite see that picture so good. I get my, get my eyes checked. But, but that was on Monday, uh, and uh, we are very, very happy for him. Um, keep in mind that next Sunday is our Blessed to be a Blessing Sunday, and in addition to the normal things that we're going to do about having a bilingual service, uh, we're going to have a special contribution for the Bahamas. Um, this year, what The Benevolence Ministry uh, has, in conjunction with the leadership, has decided that all of our efforts will be focused on trying to help them get back on the ground. They've still got a long way to go. I think just recently, uh, they were, uh, people were allowed to go back into Abaco Island and, uh, or the islands there. And so, uh, there's just a lot of reconstruction that's taking place and that will have to continue for years. Um, and at one point we thought that we would have an updated list of supplies that they would require. What they said, uh, what we've been told is that at this particular stage in the reconstruction and the restoration, what they really need is money so that they can purchase the th- construction items that they need on the islands. And so um, we're not going to be accepting any specific physical goods, but we will. Uh, there's one more shipment that's going out, but then we will be taking up a special contribution. Um, if you would like, there is always a need for food for our pantry. We get people regularly every week that come. Uh, some we know and others just come by our door and, and ask for bags of food. And we have a policy of pretty much giving anyone who needs food uh, a bag, a grocery sack. And so uh, if you would like, check the bulletin. And there's a list of specific items that uh, that you can bring and contribute to that as well. Then also next week, we are having a celebration to it's it's a bittersweet um, uh, reception for Bob and Barbara Perkins to celebrate <coughs> their many years uh, uh, of service as, as an elder. Bob ser- has served over 40 years as an elder 
uh, and uh, we are so deeply indebted to God's grace uh, for, in his life and the way that he has allowed uh, his life to be used for God's purposes here in this congregation and in South Florida. And so um, we're going to have a celebration immediately after the bilingual assembly in the auditorium. We'll come back into this space and uh, we'll enjoy that. Um, at the current time, we have all of our food needs covered but if you would like to help with preparations, decorations, setup, and other kinds of things like that, or clean up afterwards, uh, not a glorious task, but a necessary one, um, you can see David and, uh, and, and, and touch base with him about any of those kinds of needs. Um, so uh, we're looking forward to, to having a wonderful celebration. We do appreciate so much all the, the work that uh, the, the Perkins have uh, put in and the sacrifices they've made for their fam- in their family and for the ministry, and we are deeply appreciative of their ministry. And, um, and so it, it, it'll be a, a bittersweet moment, a happy moment. Um, and, and I think, I don't know if it'll be sadder or happier for you, Bob, but uh, <laughs> no more Thursday night meetings. I think you've got one more, so make it a good one. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but we will truly miss uh, him in, in, at the table. Do you remember when it was just you and your future spouse dating? Or maybe after you got married but before kids came along? Do you, do you, do you remember the feeling of freedom going out at 3 in the morning to get ice cream if you wanted to? Or just doing whatever, taking a trip just out of the blue, just deciding, oh, we can just up and do this. Spontaneous and free you had more money then, probably even though you didn't have much, you weren't spending it on diapers and formula and those kinds of things. There was less stress and worry, not as many trips to a pediatrician, to the doctor, perhaps to urgent care. You had more time on your hands and it was just a little bit, I won't say more enjoyable, but enjoyable in a different way. <laughs> and then baby or babies came along and everything changed. Everything changed, beginning with the process of birth. Life rotated and revolved around that creature in a, in a positive way. The cre- I say creature is in the sense of just, uh, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm digging myself in a hole. I'm just going to move on. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, the, the, the good news is they, they, they grow up and then things, you know, get a little bit different and better. Um, but on those really challenging days of, <laughs> we were FaceTiming, it was two weeks ago before our trip to D.C., we were FaceTiming with the grandkids. And, and I wasn't present. I was in at my computer working, and, and, and I heard Catherine. And all of a sudden, they were talking, da-da-da-da-da, and all of a sudden, I heard liquid splattering on the ground. I went in. And, and just out of nowhere, Caleb was throwing up, and that continued for a couple days uh, the week before we had our trip to D.C. And I thought, on the one hand, I thought, wow, I feel really bad for him. And number two, I thought, if he's sick, uh, don't, don't, don't bring him. I don't, I don't want to go around that kid if he's sick, but uh, he's my grandson, so uh, I, I guess whatever's his is mine. But on those really challenging days, did you ever wonder, what was I thinking? What were we thinking? Whose idea was this to have kids? Well, I don't know if it would surprise you or not, but it was actually God's idea to have kids. Oddly enough, the very first time God speaks to human beings in the Bible, in the Genesis text, the very first time he speaks to them, the first thing he tells them is, 
have kids and have a bunch of them. In fact, have so many that they don't fit in your house and they flood over into the neighbor's house and into the whole town and they fill the earth. Now, it's common, especially in the ancient days of agricultural communities, but it was also common in the days of factory work when there were not child labor laws, to think that having kids was actually a good thing because you had more hands to work. You had more people to work in the fields, to, 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 to work the fields, to work in the factories. This was before we understood that that wasn't really the best thing for a kid to be doing. But but it's common even in today's world for older siblings to kind of take care and raise the younger siblings. And so we tend to view children kind of, okay, um, you're useful to me when you can provide some service to me, but then otherwise, you know, I don't really want to see you and, and I don't want to hear. But, you know, that's not really God's purpose. He has a deeper purpose. It has nothing to do with taking care of other siblings or, 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 or helping parents in their professions, or their careers, their jobs. I, I think part of what the scriptures teach and what we'll look at today is, is that we have children so that we can share the goodness of God that he's given to us and so that they can then continue this heritage of sharing with future generations, the goodness of God. God wanted a world filled with people, but just not ordinary people. He wanted a world. And remember, and we've talked about how this world initially was to be God's home, the place where he lived. It was going to be his temple. And he wanted his house filled with people who glorified and worshipped him. And so he gives us the ability to bring children into the world to be a part of that creative uh, work that only he can do. And he gives us the opportunity and the honor and the responsibility of bringing life and creating life where there was no life. Two people come together and then we have a third person. And he gives us the responsibility to raise them to love him, to follow him, and to expand in this world so that there is an increasing number of families who worship him. Now, most of that instruction doesn't happen on Sunday. We just don't have enough time, and there's a lot of other things happening. Most of it happens at home or in the park or in school. But it also happens here in the context of the Sunday, the Sunday assembly. And so today we're concluding these four lessons about the assembly. And today we want to look at the value of encouraging our children in this assembly. We, we, we started talking about how the assembly is where we come together in a special way as God's people to draw near to God. We come into his presence in a special way. The Hebrew writer kind of lays out this uh, uh, this comparison between uh, Mount Sinai, which is, fills us with terror, and Mount Zion, which fills us with joy. And, and then we talked about how 
the assembly also serves to be a witness to those who have not named Jesus as their Lord and Savior, those who have not made the decision to follow him. And we can also, by our actions and by our words, we can help them come to faith, even in the assembly. And then last week, Robert and in the, in the, uh, the Spanish, uh, Paul Roland, talked about how the assembly is when we come together to do those things, but also to encourage one another and to stimulate and strengthen each other in our faith and in our life. And so today we're going to be thinking about children in our assembly. And when we think about children in the assembly, perhaps the text that we think about most is uh, Mark chapter 10, where Jesus welcomes the children. Now we're going to see the disciples with their attitude towards children, and we'll see Jesus has a, a very different attitude. So let's read the text, and then um, I'll have some observations to make about it. The text in Mark chapter 10, you can follow in your Bible. It's verses 13 through 16. This is the New Living Translation. The text says, One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. So we can already see Jesus is the rabbi. He's the teacher. He was most likely seated and people around were standing. And these parents are making their way through the crowd with their kids. And evidently, as you might imagine, they were being noisy. They were being kids, maybe a little bit messy, but they were distracting the adults and perhaps distracting Jesus from his teaching. And so the disciples want to push the parents off, and and it's striking what Jesus' reaction is. Because the text says when Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. Now, the the biblical text doesn't tell us many times when Jesus gets angry. Just a handful, but this is one of them. He was angry with his disciples for pushing the children and their parents away. And he said to his disciples, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these little children. So not only does he say, let them come. He kind of doubles down and says, in fact, if you guys don't start acting and looking like children. You're not going to get in to the kingdom. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child. And we can imagine that he had a child in his arms or on his lap at this particular time. And he says, if you don't receive the kingdom like this child, you will never enter it. You won't get to heaven (laughs) if you don't become like a child. Then He took the children in his arms and he placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. Matthew adds that he prayed for them. So so we see the value that Jesus gives to having children in his presence. He, He doesn't specify what characteristics of children are important and are necessary. 
But I think two kind of come to my mind and are relatively agreed upon. One, children are dependent on someone else for everything they have. They can't work. They can't cook their own food. They can't provide for themselves. And so they are dependent on someone else. And when we come into the kingdom, we are dependent on God. We don't come into the kingdom as powerful individuals, movers and shakers who can make things happen. When we enter the kingdom, we enter with humility and a spirit of dependency. Then I think another thing that we see in children is just how amazed they are at life and things that happen. One of the things my grandson was most looking forward to, besides meeting his great-granddad, one of the things that he was really excited about was going to the American History Museum and seeing the Batmobile. Now that lit him up. <laughs> and he was, and, and I, and I saw, I, I didn't, I dropped them off and, and found a parking place where I could read. Um, and I didn't go into the museum and I saw the pictures and I thought, yeah, okay, yeah, it's, it's, it's a car, you know. Yeah. We were at the airport, uh, uh, coming back and a, um, I think it was a, uh, I don't even know the name. It wasn't, it was, it was like higher class than a Lamborghini, one of the gold wings, you know, and I thought, wow, I should have taken a picture. But, uh, but it pulled up right in front of us and I almost thought, wow, are you here for us? And, uh, but it only seats two people and, and, and so I knew it wasn't for me and Catherine. But kids get amazed and wowed. And, and, and they see things that we've become so accustomed to that we take them for granted and we do it without thinking. And that amazement at the wonder of God is something that we need to imitate and cultivate in our own lives. So at the beginning of next year, we will welcome our children into our assemblies on a permanent basis. Our children's minister, Julie Bergman, uh, has been researching and studying and preparing and planning for this event for months. The leadership team of ministers and elders have also been a part of this thinking and praying and planning. We've had two seminars in English and in Spanish to think through what does this look like and why this is important for us to do. If you were unable to attend the seminar, you can go online, sunsetmiami.org, look under resources in the the, the pull-down menu, and go to the resources tab, and then you'll find a video that Julie has prepared of her giving the presentation, and then there's also a handout that you uh, uh, you can download and you can read that will explain a little bit more detail. Now, this doesn't mean that our assemblies are going to cater to children. We're not going to be singing vacation Bible school songs every Sunday. We're not going to sing Jesus Loves Me every Sunday. We're going to welcome them as part of our family to walk alongside us as we draw near to God. And as we reach out to our neighbors and as we encourage one another in our Christian lives. The biggest change is not going to be exterior. I think the biggest change is going to come in our individual hearts. Because one of the things that we've emphasized in this series is that this assembly is not about me 
and my desires and my wants and my pleasures. This, is a, this assembly is about us coming together. And because I personally don't like XYZ song or XYZ text or XYZ preacher, that, at the end of the day, is not really that important. Because when I draw near with you in this gathering to break bread and to remember the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection and to sing songs and to share out of the goodness of God's heart, I gather with you and all of God's people, past and present, throughout this world. And so our children are joining us and it's not about any one individual, and it's not about doing what makes me happy. It's entering into God's presence in a corporate way. Throughout the Old Testament, there's been this, and I don't want to call it a love-hate, but there's been an off-again, off-on-again relationship with children in God's gatherings. It's been kind of interesting. You go back to texts like Deuteronomy 31 and Joshua chapter 8, the text specifically uh, points out that in the assembly, God wanted the men, but also the women and their children. And sometimes it actually says they're little children to be present in these assemblies before God's presence. Gather everyone together. No one is to be left out. By the time we get to the temple in Jerusalem, we have the places where Jewish men could go, but then we had places where females were excluded and had to go, and then there was a section even further outside that area for Gentiles or non-Jews. And then when we come to the early church, the data is a little bit mixed. Because in some ways, it's likely that they followed what the synagogue did. But on the other hand, we have texts like this one, in Ephesians 6, you're probably familiar with these texts. Ephesians 6, verse 1 and following says, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, and this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on earth. And then, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them, up, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. We've read these verses, and we're very familiar with the principles. But, but there's something that's so obvious that it might not register. When Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians, to this church in Ephesus, there, there was no New Testament. There wasn't a book of a bunch of Paul's letters. A messenger came, delivered this letter, and then on Sunday morning, they read it to the church that was gathered there. And Paul knew that that's what they were going to do. And they would probably read it every Sunday. Oh, re read Paul's letter again. And then they began sharing the letters. Oh, let's read the one that he sent to Colossae. And let's read the one that he sent to Philippi. And slowly this collection of letters, Paul's letters to various churches, started uh, uh, appearing. But the very first time 
when Paul writes this, he's writing this letter thinking of this church in Ephesus. And he writes to the children. What does that mean? That they were there. (laughs) When he writes and says, slaves, honor your master. They were sitting in the pew. They were sitting on the bed. They were sitting in the chair. They were sitting at the table in this home when Paul wrote this letter and they read it. And so the fact that he writes to the children suggests that they were present in the hearing of this letter. Then then the other thing that's interesting about this text is the the way that he talks about how parents, fathers, there is no word in Greek for parents, and so it could be understood as parents. Some translations say that. How, How he talks about how parents should instruct the children in the ways of the Lord. Now, typically we think of teach them to be good and kind and and not to steal or lie and those basic kinds of morality and ethical kinds of things. But I think he's also talking about the assembly. Teach them to love God the way you love God. And we all know that one of the most powerful ways to teach is through our example. To show. And so in the assembly, when children are present, they have the opportunity to witness their parents and their relatives and their friends and the people in front of them and beside them and behind them. They have the opportunity to witness these individuals who are meaningful to them and who are important to them singing and praying and reading scripture and sharing the Lord's Supper and giving The offering. Now, how many times do you do that outside of the Sunday assembly? How many times do you parents sing when you're at home? Some do. Some have devotionals and quiet time and uh, read a Bible story book. But other than what you do with the kids, do your children ever witness you reading scripture just for yourself? Or do they ever witness you singing to God because of the joy that you have and the gratefulness or the sorrow that you're experiencing? Do they witness you praying other than mealtime? Do they witness this wrestling with things that aren't going well? You know, most parents try and protect their kids from the evils of the world, and I think that's a natural inclination. But when they're in the assembly, they're going to hear about people who have cancer. And they're going to hear about people who die. And they're going to hear about situations that just didn't turn out the way we wanted. And that's part of what life as a family and in community looks like. And so the assembly provides us not the only, but one of the places where this biblical construction takes place. But in some churches, the children are never in the assembly. They're often worship training in a Bible class. They're often children's church. So the assembly is a time for all of us to gather. Now, age-appropriate instruction, Bible classes for kids at their level is extremely important. Because in this context, 
we're talking to adults. And the kids are overhearing. And they're picking up a lot. But it's extremely important that they have instruction that's geared towards them. And that's what our Bible classes are for. On Wednesday night and on Sunday morning, we have age-appropriate classes. And so we would encourage all of our families, Wednesday night, I understand, traffic, bedtimes, school, work schedules, most of those are not a factor on Sunday morning. It's just that it's cold out and I don't want to get out of bed. (laughs) Or other situations that we're dealing with. But we would encourage all of our families to come 945 so their children, so our children can receive age appropriate instruction and then have the opportunity to share with us. This is where we share our life. And this is where we share God's goodness with one another. We don't hide things from our children, says Psalm 78. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instruction to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children. And so the next generation might know, might know them. And even the children yet unborn, that they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew in God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and not forgetting to obey his commands. And so that's part of what we're doing in this assembly. We're rehearsing God's goodness. And we're passing that on to our children so that when they grow, they also can pass it on to their children. Forty years ago or so, In a church in Philadelphia, three nine-year-old boys were baptized and became members of that church. Not long after, unable to continue with its dwindling membership, the church sold the building and disbanded. One of those boys was Dr. Tony Campolo, who was a well-known speaker, conference speaker, preacher, writer, author. He's also a sociologist at Eastern College in Pennsylvania. And Campolo writes, years later when I was doing research in the archives of our church, I decided to look up the church report for the year of my baptism. There was my name. And there was Dick White. Dick's now a missionary. And there was Bert Newman, the other individual with whom I was baptized, now a professor of theology at an African seminary. There was his name. And then I read the report for that year. The report said, it has not been a very good year for our church. We have lost 27 members. Three joined, but they were only children. Those children have impacted the world in profound and significant ways. And we can be a part of helping those children come to faith as they are a part of this assembly. If we can pray with you, if you need some guidance on what your next step might be in your relationship with the Lord, if you've made the decision like 
Moises did uh, last week. If you've made the decision to be baptized, we would love to help you with that. If you have a prayer request or a situation that you'd like to share with this fellowship and with this congregation, our, uh, one of our elders, Jeff Henson, will be here to receive you. Um, uh, let's all stand and sing, and you can make your way to the front. Thank you.